0: I need no other argument. I need no other no other plea. That's what a believer says. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. What you need to, to come to the conclusion of if you're not saved is that you have no other argument. You have no other plea. You see the difference? that's there, because if Jesus wasn't enough, you're not getting there and I'm not getting there. There's nothing else that could ever cause us to be declared righteous before God or justified before God, and the grace of Christ is available both to Jew and Gentile. It's available to to all who will repent and believe. If you're not there, I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're in the first 10 verses. Uh, This is a new chapter, but it is also the last chapter, the last scene in this previous section. In fact, the first three scenes that we're going to see in Mark chapter 8, you can just you could just put my name over them. They're all three for, for Brian because the, the 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 theme is denseness. The first three scenes, the denseness of the disciples who act like they've forgotten the feeding of the 5,000, the denseness of the Pharisees who who demand a sign from Jesus even though he's already performed more in the first year of his ministry than in any other period of the Old Testament, and the dis- denseness of the disciples again whenever they get Uh, in the boat with Jesus and Jesus warns them of beware the leavening of the Pharisees and they think Jesus is talking about they didn't bring bread it's all three dense they're dense but Jesus has one more lesson that he wants to teach teach the disciples beginning in Mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 10 before he leaves the Gentile lands he he wants to teach them Jesus has made over a Hundred plus mile trek and a several month journey into Gentile territory to, to Tyre and Sidon and then comes all the way back down through the mountains into through the ten cities through Decapolis to the to Gentile region on the on the Sea of Galilee. And there are only two scenes recorded about this long journey because the, the trip is really about the training of the disciples and how the gospel goes beyond the Jews. It goes to the ends of the of the earth. And he wants the disciples, and he wants you to understand. You obviously do understand because you are Gentiles. But he wants the disciples to understand that the gospel goes beyond the children of Israel. And this miracle feeding, this miraculous feeding, is the final lesson. And it is a massive one. Now, he's already shown... He's already shown the disciples that salvation is for the Gentiles with the Syrophoenician woman. You remember the woman that comes and asks for crumbs. Even, even the dogs lick up the, the crumbs. And he's also shown the disciples the second scene in this, in this foray into Gentile territory, that divine healing is for the Gentiles with the deaf mute. We saw how Matthew said that they're just bringing crowds to him and he's healing them. But Mark focuses in only on this deaf mute. And we know they're Gentiles because they glorified the God of Israel. And, and Israelites would have just glorified God, not the God of, of Israel. And now in this feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is going to teach his disciples that all of the benefits of the of the kingdom are available to Gentiles as as well. And that's really the key that, that makes this feeding, this passage, go from ho-hum to, to mind-blowing. Did you read ahead? Did you read the, four, the feeding of the 4,000, which is, according to Matthew, 4,000 men, heads of household, so so you have thousands of, of thousands of people here, anywhere from fifteen to 20,000. In fact, did you read ahead and, and did you think, wow, okay, so what's the difference here? There's the feeding of the 5,000, and it's a miracle. It's amazing that Jesus did that. Now, the feeding of the 4,000, he, he does that again. That's, that, that's amazing. But, but what, what's the significance? Why are these two feedings so close together? That's one of the questions that, that critics of the Bible and literal, uh, liberals actually ask, and they question whether this took place at all. They say because it's so similar to the feeding of the 5,000 that, that maybe this is the same event. The 4,000 and the 5,000 is the same event and Mark just kind of got the numbers confused or it was lost in translation. I remember Peter's probably the source of Mark. So, so maybe that's what happened. Mark just got confused. I mean, he's got a, got 16 chapters to write. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to remember. Obviously they deny the, the inspiration of the Bible. And so maybe maybe something got lost in translation. I mean, they can't figure out, really, how in this story, how this story could be so similar, and then how the disciples could be so dense. Look at verse 4 of Matthew 8. This is where they ask Jesus, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place? Where's anybody going to be able to find enough bread here in this in this wilderness place to satisfy all of these people? they're going how can the disciples ask such a question when just a few chapters earlier they're in the, a similar setting and and Jesus shows them how they're going to find that, that kind of, of bread in the in the wilderness I mean they were with him before and he provided bread from heaven even a larger crowd maybe Mark just got the 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 stories mixed up and, and he retells it twice but it's explicitly clear in the Bible that these are two separate miracles. They're two different numbers. One has 4,000, one has 5,000. They take place in two different locations. They're two different sets of details, two different types of baskets, and more importantly, two different types of people. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had compassion because the people are sheep with no shepherd, and so he teaches them. You remember that? And in the 4,000, as as you heard Tim read for us this morning, Jesus has compassion because the people have been so long without food because they were listening to his teaching. So he feeds them. In the 5,000, the disciples ask Jesus to dismiss the crowd. The disciples say, Lord, we've kind of been going on here for quite a while. These people probably hungry. The disciples bring that need to Jesus, to his attention. You remember they interrupt his teaching and call calls attention to that need. In the 4,000, Jesus is the one who brings it up. He's fully aware of the, the crowd's lack of food, and he calls the disciples' attention to the situation. In the feeding of the 4,000, it's three days. In the feeding of the 5,000, it's one day. And, and I think... More importantly, the purpose of the feeding is different. And this is really what, what's, what separates it. I'll show you in the passage this morning. This one is to meet the physical needs of a multitude who were listening to Jesus teaching his words rather than eat bread. They'd already been fasting and listening three days. And the 5,000 was not a real physical need. It was to teach the disciple who he, disciples who he was. And frankly, the entire debate can be ended... In, in, in just 18 verses in Matthew, or, uh, sorry, in Mark chapter 8, just a few verses later, eight verses after we end, Jesus himself says this to the disciples in the boat when he's warning them about the, the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Watch, this is Jesus. When I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up and And the disciples said to him, twelve. Also, when I broke seven for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, the disciples, how is it you do not understand? I I would ask the same question to the liberals. (laughs) How is it that you do not understand? It's two miracles. Jesus said so. End of story. So why? Why? Why does the Lord do this again? We saw the first one and saw the purpose of this amazing miracle. Why does Jesus do this again? Well, the feeding of the 5,000 was to a group of Jews. And the feeding of the 4,000 was a miracle primarily for Gentiles. And that's the massive difference. Both teach that the, to the disciples that Jesus is the bread from heaven. But this one in particular teaches them that that bread is for both Jew and Gentile alike. God does the same thing in the book of Acts with Pentecost and the the Holy Spirit falling on two groups at different times, right? Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls on the apostles, Jews, in Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the Spirit falls on Gentiles while Peter is preaching in Caesarea. And one was to confirm to the Jews the prophecy of Joel had come and, the next Peter preaching to Cornelius to Gentiles was to say that the Gentiles were included in the kingdom. And the Pentecostals that use horrible hermeneutics mess all of that up and say the baptism of the Spirit is repeatable and you should seek that on a regular basis. It, it, Jesus does the same thing with the 5,000 and the 4,000 feeding. The same thing with the with the book of Acts. The first feeding was to the Jews. This feeding was to the Gentiles because Jesus is the bread from heaven that's offered to to the world. Here's the outline that you're going to to see. There's divine compassion that the Lord expresses over Gentiles in verses 1 through 3. There's divine provision for the Gentiles in verses 4 through 5. There's divine service unto the Gentiles in verse 6. And then there's divine fellowship with the Gentiles in verses 7 through 10. Let's look at the first one, divine compassion over the Gentiles. Look, if you would, at verse 1 of Mark chapter 8. It says, in those days, it's a transition, it's it's to the next scene. When there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the crowd or for the multitude or for the people.'" because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Mark tells us that Jesus was at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. It was it just come through the, the region of Decapolis, the ten cities. He stays in the area. There's a large crowd. We saw in Matthew the large crowds because people were bringing people to be healed to him. And Jesus is teaching this crowd. And for three days, they're listening to Jesus and they have nothing to eat. Literally, they've been remaining for three days. In verse 3 says... That they haven't eaten for a while, and Jesus doesn't want to send them away. If he sends them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint. They won't make it. And he says why they won't make it because they're not just going from you know here to the Walgreens across the street. They they've come from a some have come from a great distance. It's a it's a long trip. They've already been fasting. They haven't been eating. And so they've listened to Jesus teaching so long that they've exhausted their provisions and they and they. They can't be set away and sent away in that in that condition. But verse two tells us the the reason for the miracle. Why Jesus has the disciples, why he calls them. In verse two, I feel compassion for the people. That's what verse two says. I, Jesus is speaking, feel compassion for the for the people. It's, a, it's an expression of feelings, of affection, of sympathy, of kindness, of compassion. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus says this about himself. Now, Plenty of other people say this about Jesus. They talk about how Jesus is compassionate. And it's an observation. Somebody else observes Christ and they make an observation how compassionate he was. Or the narrator says that Jesus had compassion on someone. But Jesus here says, I feel compassion. And he says that to the disciples. He's saying it. And he's saying it to the disciples. Now why? Because he explicitly wants to teach them that God has compassion over Gentiles, and so must they. I have compassion for this multitude, this crowd that's here. You see, the, the disciples had grown up their whole lives being told that Gentiles are dogs, they're, they're unclean, they live outside of the covenant, they're under God's judgment. And their attitude would be, they're getting what they deserve. Not they should be had compassion on. And yet, here's a group of twenty thousand of them, and Jesus says, "I feel compassion for this people." Now the disciples could say, "Well, okay, maybe I feel compassion. It's all right if the Lord expresses compassion to this this woman who's got her." Or little child that's in dire straits and she comes in is really humble and bows before the Lord and Jesus says, okay, you can have the crumbs. Alright, I can handle that as a, as a Jew. And I mean, or the deaf guy, you know, the mute guy can't speak. I mean, he's coming. He, I mean, he's obviously a very needy person. So okay, that's fine. The Lord wants to do something for him, but it's, 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 it's something that's, that's not normal. Well, here's 20,000 of them. A mixed multitude. And Jesus says, I have compassion on, on all of them there. Do you remember what Jesus said in the feeding of the 5,000? Why he had compassion? He looked upon the crowd and they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he sees the Jews as the, as the shepherd of the sheep. And, and now he sees the Gentiles as the compassionate God. That's what he's communicating To the to the disciples, Jesus is declaring this is an attribute which I possess toward all men, both Jew and Gentile, not just those who are his chosen people. The most significant passage in in the Old Testament, I think that about God revealing himself is in Exodus chapter 34, verse six. This is where God reveals himself. You, know, you want to know what God's like? Read the whole Bible. You want to know what God's like? Look to Jesus. But here is where God speaks about himself. He reveals. He, he crunches down in a statement what he wants to communicate about himself. We know he's the, the I am. You know, he's the, he's the one who is. And God says, who am I? This is who I am. Then the Lord pass by in front of him. And proclaim, this is the Lord proclaiming. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on their Grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. God reveals himself in that passage. And the Bible says that God loves the world, all of it. He loves his enemies. Jesus loved his neighbor, even the wicked ones. He loves the ones that would never be saved. Jesus loves the elect. He loves the non-elect. That's one expression of his love. And it's universal in its extent. He's benevolent. He's merciful to all. He has a sincere desire for every sinner to turn to him. The Bible says he takes no pleasure in the, in the death of the wicked. And the disciples needed to know that. But it didn't mean that God's love for the Jews was less or not special. Some confuse who God is with, with how he expresses it. You know, some people will say, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, right there's the passage. He's a, he's a gracious and compassionate, loving God. He's slow to anger, and yet he doesn't allow the guilty to go un, unpunished. The Bible says God is love, and love is an attribute. God is love. He is compassion. It's an attribute. It's, it's who he is, not just what he does or how he expresses it. Don't confuse love or compassion like the, like the world defines it, as a, as an emotion or, or as an action only. God is love. It's, it's who He is. And He expresses it. And He expresses it in universal ways. He also expresses it in familial ways. The Bible says that God loves you as, as the family of God in a special way. You're, you're His own precious possession. He loves believers as a husband does a bride. He, he loves us as... As a father, because we're now his children. All human beings are his creation, but you are not of your father the devil. You are his, his child. And we, we would never say that a man is unloving because he loves his wife in a way different than a female coworker. Nor would we demand him to do so. Or a father is unloving because he loves his child in a special way, which is different from nieces or nephews. God expresses love in a way that is specific to the relationship, specific to, consistent with His character, and, and as He chooses. And all are God's creation. Jews and Gentiles, The universal love. I feel compassion, He says. And yet, not all are God's children familiar. He's abounding in loving kindness, but He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And one doesn't negate the other. And this love is offered to all but only those who turn to him in faith and repentance. Receive it. And Jesus is saying here, I have universal compassion toward all, not just the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Compassion toward the crowd, and not everyone in the crowd would believe. Many would not believe. And the disciples should go forth with that same heart. Now, if you thought Jesus was harsh with the woman the bread, then then this seed should wash it away. He's so concerned that even hunger moves him. The crowd is hungry. And he doesn't want them to faint on the way because they've been with him for three days. So he provides for them. You think that God doesn't care about you? He does care. Now look at how he he provides for them because that's exactly what he does next. The the provision for the Gentiles. Look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him and said, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desert place or wilderness place, desolate place, to satisfy these people? Here's the place that, that people call this question into, uh, call this story into question. I mean, can the disciples really be that dense? I mean, as Yogi Berra said, this is like deja vu all over again, right? Sorry about the Yankees, Pastor Brody. They bit the dust. There were, They were with Jesus before when a, when a large group had no food. And out of the wilderness, he made bread. I mean, can the disciples, can human beings really be that dense? And I would say to ask that question answers it, right? <laughs> yes, humans are that dense. You're so dense, you have to ask the question, can we be that dense? Now, think about it. Can we really be so dense that we forget what God has done in the past and do stupid, faithless things in the future? Can we? (laughs) Can we ever? Pharaoh, who saw the power of the plagues and wouldn't let Israel go, and then finally did, and pursued them, and then pursued them right in the middle of the Red Sea. Pharaoh did some pretty stupid faithlessness. Well, Pharaoh's an unbeliever, right? Israel, who walked through the Red Sea and a few weeks later made a golden calf and bowed to it. Pretty dumb, wasn't it? Abraham hears from God, lies about Sarah, sleeps with Hagar to help God out. David's supernatural anointing and deliverance and then his sin with Bathsheba and then even after that, when God brings Solomon from that situation. He numbers Israel. You want me to go on? <laughs> Your sin that you've committed after you were saved and after you've tasted the mercy of Christ, maybe even sin that was very recent, after you've been saved for a really long period of time. Yes, human beings could be that stupid and forget what God has done in hours, forget months, which is the period of time that's passed between between these two. How quickly? do we begin to doubt God or think that he doesn't care after he answers a major prayer request like the day before, right? Oh, God, do you care? or you not going to answer? <laughs> and one of the themes in Mark 8 is the lack of the comprehension of the disciples, which is what's being put on display here. But let's be fair to them. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. I mean, when Jesus performs a miracle, they're stunned. They can't believe their eyes. And not only that, Jesus doesn't run around and do miracles for every meal. I mean, they've been with Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They've been a several-month journey over hundreds of miles. And and Jesus goes and buys bread and eats bread and cooks fish just like everybody else does. They have no reason to, to expect that Jesus is going to bring miracle bread every single time. They wouldn't expect him to do a miracle. And besides, it's been three days. And they haven't eaten anything for three days. These people are hungry for three days. I mean, if he was going to do a miracle, why would he do it on the first day? Rather than letting them fast for several days. It's been three days and no miracle. And they've seen him do things before, but they they don't know when or under what circumstance he'll choose to do it. In fact, I think the question that they ask the Lord about the hungry crowd implies them saying, what are you going to do about it? I, I mean... Where will anyone find enough bread out here? I mean, yeah, you're right, Lord. You brought it to our attention. What are you going to do about it? Well, he answers them. Verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, and he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and, and broke it and started giving them to the disciples. Bread and fish. He just starts giving it to them. It was grain that never grew, fish that never lived or died, created fully grown and ready to eat. MacArthur said, think about this, the fish were created dead. If you've ever questioned if evolution... Is, was necessary for God to bring about our, our planet, look no further than this miracle. There are some people that say, well, you know, we have to have evolution because there's millions of years and they're trying to fit the Bible and, and science together. Let, let God's word reign and then all the other stuff will take care of itself. God can create fully grown, fully mature, fully cooked bread and fish just like in creation, fully mature trees, fully mature animals, fully mature earth. He's God. If he has the ability to create a single-celled organism and there's no beginning to him, why do you think it's so difficult for him to speak and create things fully mature? Here's the proof that he can do that. And and, and there's 20,000 people who saw it and then ate it. And it's recorded right here in Matthew and also in Mark. But I don't want you to miss something here because the significance is beyond just this, this creation miracle out of nothing, out of this and he's creating this, this new and giving it. If you think that the disciples may have been torqued or plucked or shocked about Jesus actually healing the the Gentile woman's daughter, or the, the deaf man. You can't imagine how, how shocking this miracle was to the disciples who were Jews. What does the miracle feeding symbolize? It's manna from the wilderness, right? It's, it's bread from heaven. It's, that's what's, what's being symbolized here. It was one of the most specifically Jewish miracles in the Old Testament, it was for the Jewish people when God delivered them from Gentiles, from the bondage of the, of the Egyptians. God provides for his people in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. I mean, that is as Jewish as you can get. It was exclusively Jewish. And now Jesus does the same miracle for the Gentiles. Are you kidding me? And not only that, but he uses the disciples to serve the bread from heaven. (laughs) Because they're going to be the same disciples that serve the gospel to the Gentile nations. And you are a product of that. Divine service unto the Gentiles. Look at verse 6. He directed the people to sit on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, and he broke them. And he started giving them to his disciples to set before or serve to them. And they served them to the people, to the crowd, to the multitude. Now, this is one of the ways that, that you know Jesus spent months in the Gentile region, and it wasn't just yesterday that he fed the five thousand. You, you can see the difference in the, in the two feedings. In the 5,000, remember, he has compassion because they're sheep without a shepherd. And there's a significant moment where he asks them to sit down in the green grass. Remember that? Here he just says, sit on the ground. The grass is gone. It's no longer the green season. But the end of the verse, he gives thanks for the food and he starts giving it to the disciples to serve them. And they serve the people. And on both occasions, Jesus doesn't give the bread directly to the people. He uses the disciples to feed the multitude. He could have had the people come forward. You've probably seen that in, in other Catholic situations or otherwise where the, the Eucharist is being passed and so people come forward and they, they take it or people get up. You could go, maybe seen churches where they'll do communion. Where, you know, there's stations and people will get up and go to the to the communion. Jesus could have had the people come to him. And he could have just doled it out if he wanted to, to show them that he's the source. He could have made a big pile right over the hill and sent one over there. And... But he specifically performs the miracle in front of the disciples. You see that? He specifically hands the bread to the, to the disciples to give to the people. It's purposeful. It's His power. It's their hands. They distribute the bread. It's to teach them that principle. It's God's power, but our hands that, that do the serving, that feeds the people. God causes the bread to fall out of heaven with the manna because He wants the Jews to understand. He wants the Israelites to understand that He's the provider. They get up every morning and it's there. Wow, God's the provider. And they go out and by faith they they keep it. And by faith they're, they're only to gather what they're supposed to have for the day. It's all purposeful. It's to teach them. And here Jesus multiplies the bread and gives it to the disciples because he's emphasizing to the disciples that, yes, he's the source, but they are the servants that minister to the world. The same compassion, the same provision and salvation God has for Jews, He has for Gentiles, and the apostles will go to both, and the apostles will will serve the both. He just keeps creating and filling the disciples' hands, and they keep giving it to the crowd. They're, They're waiters. They'd come back to the source with empty hands, and He would fill it again. And they would take it and pour it out to the people. Listen, that, that's, that's ministry, folks. That, that's all ministry is. That's all I do. It, 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 my dreams, my visions, my abilities, are they'll get you about as far as on your face before you go out the door. The Lord's the source. You come to Him with empty hands. He fills your empty hands with the Word of God, and you carry it to people. That's ministry. You don't make the bread. You don't even cook the bread. Your job is to get the bread from the Lord to the people. And it doesn't take very many talents to hold out your hands and have the Lord fill you with something and then walk to somebody else with an open mouth or empty hands and give it to them, does it? And in the end... The Lord will use you if you'll approach it that way and get over yourself. And you'll have fellowship with God and with one another. Divine fellowship with the Gentiles. Look at verse 7. And they also had a few, few small fish and he blessed them. And he ordered these to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied and they picked up. Seven large baskets, very different word in the five thousand it's a small lunch pail lunch basket that a Jew would have. It would have been personal just enough for for the jew. This is seven large baskets these are these are big baskets. this is the uh, the, the the same word that's used when the apostle Paul is put down in a basket and he's lowered over the over the, the side of the wall in, in Damascus. That's how big these seven are. Two very distinct words. But I want you to listen to verse 6 again and see if this doesn't sound strangely familiar. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to the disciples. that sound familiar? Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. The loaves are prayed over and then distributed. The fish is prayed over and then distributed. And, I, and I'm not equating the, the loaves and the fish with the bread and, or the fish with the wine. But this is a faint pre-shadow of, of what's going to come. The words echo the Lord's Supper, I do believe. And the disciples will hear these words again when He provides the real bread from heaven as a sin offering for all who believe, who will believe. And when you and I take communion, we don't take it as Jews, we don't take it as Gentiles, we take it as believers who have come to Christ in faith and repentance. And the same disciples will eat that memorial meal with you and Gentile until the Lord comes when we'll all eat it together with Him. Where? In the kingdom. And the Gentiles will get the blessing of the kingdom. And this bread satisfies. Oh, <laughs> it satisfies. Look at verse 8. They ate and were satisfied. And they picked up the seven large baskets, about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. He comes to the Jews first, as promised. And he came so that all of the, the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's promise that all who come like Abraham did, which is by faith alone, can be declared righteous before God and will be able to be with him in, in heaven forever. Where did the rich man lift up his eyes and see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. It's where Abraham was. And that's what's offered. Where did the rich man lift up his eyes? In hell. Outside of faith, with no faith. Didn't even have faith when he was there. And that's what's offered to you today and that's what's at stake. The bread which is offered to you is, is Jesus who can take away all of your sins if you will come like Abraham and all before by faith alone in His finished work alone and you'll turn from your sin and you'll turn from your rebellion and you'll bow in humble repentance before God He can wash all your sins away. And you can be in that same kingdom But if you reject him, you'll die in your sins. And you'll lift up your eyes in hell on the other side of eternity. You bow your heads. There is nothing else that needs to be done. God has accomplished all that is necessary. Jesus loves you. He has compassion for you. He does not desire you to, re- to perish. But that's exactly what you'll do. He will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. And he's expressed that love in many ways. And he calls you to repent and believe. And you can do that today. And and Christian, what an amazing privilege that we have. That we come to God with empty hands, open hands, and acknowledge that he's got the answers. His word is the source. He's the power and we just come with empty hands and he fills our hands and we carry that to somebody else. God did not create us to come down with empty hands and have him fill it and then we keep it. The disciples would have been covered up with bread and fish. They, They got enough to take to somebody else and they came back and got more. Are you taking all of the blessings of God and are you keeping them for yourselves and not giving them away? Oh, Father, how dense I can be, how easy I forget what you did for me just even an hour ago, much less yesterday or a month ago, how I am so much like the disciples. And, Father, I I know that's the prayer of a lot here this morning because we're similar. And I pray, Father, that even in this message, in this morning, you, you just give us that simple, profound image of empty hands, That we come to you as the source, we get over ourselves, you fill it, and then we take it, we carry it to somebody else. Let us not be satisfied by just filling our hands. Let us be satisfied only when we empty our hands into someone else's. And I pray, Father, this morning that through the proclamation of your word, your Holy Spirit would open eyes and grant faith and repentance and that you would save someone for Jesus' sake. And I ask it all in his name. Amen.